Hey, Query listeners, Cameron here. In the intro to today's episode, I am going to ask you, as always, to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And I wanted to take a second right now and tell you why. When you rate, review, and subscribe, it makes the show more visible to others. It climbs us in the iTunes rankings, and then folks can see it as they scroll through the top charts. We've already been charting really well, and the more listeners we have, the more I can pay for bandwidth, the more we can keep this show going. So I just wanted to let you know that it really matters to me. So far, we have a huge number of subscribers. We have a bunch of people that have rated and reviewed, but I also know how many of you have listened to the show. And if you paused right now, took a second, logged on, subscribe, rate, review, it would be a huge help to me, the show, Feral Audio, all of us. Please enjoy today's episode. This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your life and with your community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cameron here. First, I want to thank you so much for your outpouring of support. It has meant so much to me to be seeing your tweets. And you can follow us. We're at QueryCast um, on Twitter and also Instagram. We got a Query Facebook page. Get over there. Or, you know what's the best gift you could give us in the whole wide world? Is to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Today on the show, we have an um, I mean, just one of my favorite conversations. Uh, it's about being a parent. It's with my friend, Professor Andrea Fontenot. I think you guys are going to love it. So let's just get into the show. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Great. Query. Thank Thanks you. for being on the show. It's uh, great to be here. Do you want to do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, sure. I'm Andrea Fontenot. Um, I'm a professor at CalArts. I teach writing and gender studies and um, queer studies. And I'm a parent and a dog owner, rescue dog owner. God, that's um, actually that's really cool to so hear. So many identities. I love Hearing somebody introduce themselves and talk about the things that they would include. Also a dog owner. Yes. Um, you and I are pals. Yes. So that's part of the reason that I wanted to have you on the show is just because, you know, a lot of the people that I'll be talking to are, it's like people I know from the entertainment industry. Um, mm -hmm. Although it's also some, some pals that you would know from just like the L.A. queer community. Right. But what I was so excited to talk to you about is... Um, like none of that. I mean, not that you're, but you know, we're right. just in totally different industries. And mm -hmm. also, um, you are so impactful on another generation of humans. And yeah. we are, you and I, not the same generation. Right. And there's also like eight generations between us and eight generations below us because the LGBT civil rights movement is is progressing so quickly that I feel like it's like micro generations. Yeah, it's micro generations. Yeah. Yeah, like totally. every three yes. months, somebody's yes. having a different experience. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 
And so I wanted to maybe first start by just hearing a little bit about like where you're from and like what your co- cohort is or anything that you'd talk about, like your experience of being mm-hmm. a small version of yourself. <laughs> oh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I um, came out in the early 90s. So now that's really exciting and in and kind of like the heyday. But, um, you know, at the time, it was not the How old uh, are you? paradise. Um I guess I, I mean, I, there's so many coming outs, you know, like of there's course. so but uh, college. So I was 18 and uh, started college in 1991. And that was, uh, I think, a little bit. I went to UC Santa Cruz, which um, one of the things that drew me to it was that it had twice as many women as men. And I was like, that sounds great. <laughs> what yeah. a beautiful ratio. Right. Yes. Uh, or at least the, the college I was at, Kresge College, so not the whole UC Santa Cruz, but um what were you studying what was the co- english was the- english major um and although if i like back then there also what there wasn't like a film studies or media studies which is probably what i would have done you know now if i were going to college now right with the same interests that i have or gender studies um so um yeah, so that's my cohort. So all the, you know, like we were all very excited when Sister Spit, you know, came came out and started touring. I had, was living in San Francisco by that time, so would go to their shows and launch them off to the um, going across the country. Um, you lived in Santa Cruz and then moved to San Francisco yes. from there. From there, what, yeah. What year did you move to San Francisco? 95. So I was there from 95 to 2000. Yeah. That would be a really... Uh, I mean, I'm trying to even think about like markers that I can go back to because in my life at that time, 95 to 2000, I was super unaware of myself, right? Mm-hmm. So like that was actually my time frame for like watching right. whatever VHS tape in my parents' basement. Uh-huh. Right, <laughs> but, like, right. Not even and knowing. And you were what ages those years? Uh, well, let's see. I I would have been in 95, I would have been... Four, 14 um and then 2000 is when i graduated from high school um so like that's my whole high school experience and my whole high school experience i was dating men mm-hmm. i was like not at all connected to the queer community in that i didn't know it existed mm-hmm. because i had no relationship to it at all did you have people that you knew when you were growing up that were no queer adults? No, I I do I know that it was an always active research process for me of like I remember, you know, hearing that Olivia Newton-John was bisexual and it was like file this away as very important information. <laughs> it's like my little child brain did that and um I remember I, I was Is a, she? Is that a I story don't know. that came out? I never heard that. Right. And I mean I really love Greece. So I w- it would yeah, have been an important I, I've, story to I've me, too. I've on purpose too. not, like, tried hard to find out because I would be crushed if it weren't true. Right. It was, like, kept and me going. And you're, like, you're being cool yeah. and respectful. That's but, true. like, at the same time, you're internalizing this need that you have, the right. need for Olivia Newton-John to be bisexual. Exactly. And to just any any little, like, I um, came across a psychology today when I was, like, 11 that was, the cover was... Um, you know, homosexuality is not abnormal or something. I can't remember the exact title, but basically the issue was about, hey, maybe it's not this horrible pathology and you should feel okay about it. How and old do you think you were when you found that? 11. 
I, I know it because I actually had asked for a prescri- uh, subscription for my 10th birthday. So that's the kind of oh my God, weirdo kid I best. was. Yeah, you're the best. Um, but I, I think about that a lot because that issue coming to my house and, and, and me and my parents just being like, you're so weird that you even want to read that. They didn't like look at what I was reading and it just went in there of like, this is okay because that was for sure not the message I got from the adults in my life and school and my church and my family. So, And you remember having a specific reaction or attachment or response to to that article. that article? Yeah, I know. That I really should go back and find and um, see what what bas- oh, yes. pretty much formed my view of that. Uh, it's okay to be gay and that anybody who who says it's not is coming from a, a basically a religious point of view, you know, and that that really helped me in my journey and through teen years was to say, well, that it's almost like uh, it was more intellectual and cooler to accept homosexuality in my view. And there just weren't also any. I was the first person in my family to go to college. Like I didn't really I didn't know anybody who'd gone to college. I didn't know anything about um, sort of the world of letters. So this it, it that's probably when that association that's probably why I'm an academic basically is cuz I associated you get to be gay if you oh, are good at school. My yeah. goodness. I'm realizing that right now. Thank you. Thank you for that. That took it's set We've yeah, been recording seven for minutes. seven minutes and 29 seconds. Right. And I solved your life by mm-hmm. allowing you the space to talk about yourself. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's huge. You you helped me figure that out. How do you out. feel about that? How do you Great. feel about I figuring mean, that is, out? I, I mean, that is, I think that that for me, school was a place, a place of escape, but also a place where I, on many levels, felt like I make sense here. And um, so it also was sort of like through my teen years, I think in the back of my mind, not quite consciously, but was like, when I get to college, I get to fully embrace this, you know, because that's where uh, this is my pathway to freedom is school is is just how it felt with a lot of things intertwined. But um, I didn't I did not occurred. I knew that about myself, but I didn't know that it probably started with <laughs> was marbled in there with this um, highfalutin magazine telling me it's OK to be gay. You know? Academic papers. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you say that school was an escape for you and a place where you could, like, you know, feel valued or feel mm-hmm. correct. That's that's so not true for so many people, right? Like, yeah. people have such a yeah. strong reaction to school. I, I uh-huh. liked school as well. And I think part of the reason I liked it was uh, my parents always told me I was smart. That was, mm-hmm. like, a specific type of praise I got. Mm-hmm. I knew I was, like... I mean, I was like a little, I had like the same body I have now when I was seven, which mm-hmm. was confusing for some people because mm-hmm. it's like a full adult's body. Right. Um, and I was a little bit, I was super shy and mm-hmm. had a weird haircut and, you know, wore mm-hmm. an eye patch because I had frost eyes, all the classics. Mm-hmm. So um, I valued myself for being smart. I still do. I still yeah. have like an over... Um. Like a lot of my self-esteem is placed in mm-hmm. brain brains, ye, ye old brains. I mean, they are the most exciting part about people, you know. That's only that, what and you academia think. doesn't yeah. get to own that. Like the brain goes way beyond that. But yeah, 
But I mean, do you know what I mean? Other I, kinds of intelligence need to be accepted and validated too. But do, is that something that you like about yourself, brains? Uh, yes. Although I think I, I, I mean, to be totally honest, in in that path to in academia, I think I always felt a little. Um, insecure too that that it would be found out that I was climbing you know that I didn't like I get to be myself there but then I also am sort of class passing I guess you know so oh, there's a that's, little that's but then now yeah. in my position that's to me very important to not um you know like I think some ways you know grammar can be this like more about class gatekeeping than about clearly communicating your message. And so I teach writing, but I have this sort of like activist fervor to to not be a grammar snoot with my students and kind of almost the opposite, like shame people who would be like correcting people's grammar of like, why are you doing that? You know, what's wrong? What you Like, what are you trying to hold that you're better than someone else? Is that an outspoken thing in your classes? Like, would your students know that, like be able to identify that? As my As, point of view, yeah, yeah I, I, yes, that's something I talk about. Absolutely, yeah. I think that is that's amazing. I, I oh, man. it's another thing I, I collect are like like um, when people the errors that people think are errors but aren't that um, that you know kind of grammar snoots will sometimes chide people with, but really, it, um, linguists have have you know and and historians of language have said these. This is it used to be correct this way. And then some arbitrarily in the 20s, some, you know, uh, person who wrote a style book said you shouldn't put a preposition at the end of a sentence. But that's not a rule. It's totally allowed. Like, I love collecting things like that and and making sure those uh, that people are aware that that's um, when we want to police somebody else's use of language, that we're usually motivated from the same reason you would say you're using the wrong fork. That it's like uh, it's it's about etiquette and about displaying education and about this marker of class. So yeah, that's that's that, those are my no. I mean, thoughts. I think that's a, that is a really it's a way I've never heard of creating space for other people. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. so into all the different ways that queer people try mm-hmm. to create space for other people because like if you have the experience of having your space stifled I think right. uh, you can like retreat into yourself or you can like just expand a lot and try to get you know like right. <laughs> hold the door right um, right and that sounds like a, a, a way of doing that that I have not thought of that I love that's great that I'm sure your Thanks. students yeah. are really um, appreciative of that because I do think that you know I um I d- I'm I'm not like class passing. I'm mm-hmm. not doing that, but mm-hmm. I was because I came from a, an upper middle class background. Um but I think looking back on it, we were like at a lower end of the spectrum mm-hmm. of all of the people that I was raised with. Right. Like I went to a very yeah, yeah. Uh, exclusive private high school. Oh, and okay. like didn't realize that I think that that was more difficult for my parents to afford mm-hmm. than like other people. 
There were like until you know, the point when you did realize it. Until the point where my parents like didn't have retirement. Wow. And I was like, oh, oh so they really kept like, it from you. You weren't you weren't like because I've sometimes heard with situations like that where you realize other kids, you know, can can wear guest jeans. Guest jeans right. is always the the thing that decides who who's really got money or doesn't. I don't know that in at least right. for me and my friends that yeah. was the. No, I mean, like, I just, I don't think I really realized. Because, I, yeah, mm-hmm. I drove a different type of car than, right. like, a lot of the kids that, Another you know, I, and right. I, like, my house was smaller and not a hangout and other people's houses were bigger and a hangout. Right. But I didn't, I was so uncomfortable with myself in a lot of different ways that I, I do not think I would have ever isolated that as being about the issue. Um, wealth. Yeah. As a po- uh, I would have, right, I right. think I was just like, <laughs> right. I don't want you to go to my house, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, so. I see what you're saying. You know, but so I guess what I'm saying is like, I'm not class passing, but I might mm-hmm. be wealth passing or like, you know, because right. if those things are different. Right. They're, um, my parents like. In both, your context, yeah. you had the, were of the lower economic status. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And realizing that later and then being like, Jesus, mom and dad, why the fuck did you do all that? And then right. like, you know, the, the. um obligation then to like make it worth their while right when right you, when you realize that they were like clawing right to get you into this other thing right and then um you go well, well fuck i have to do something with that right but i think that's different than like you are the clawer right you know? like <laughs> totally yes and i think that's a common middle class story actually is is the um you know, buying the house that you can't really afford, but it's in the better school district. So then your kids can have this access. I mean, that's kind of what I'm doing now with my daughter. So she's that. She's like you. She's me. She's in your position. Well, she's, she's the gonna next be a generation. Comic. Yeah, great. She's gonna, be, she's gonna like her life. Right. I'll, I'll be sure to tell her that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. She's got a lot to look forward to. Yeah, she does. Lucky her. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's interesting. Yeah, that you and I think in some ways that's harder. Like because it is just you know. I just would show up at school and do my work, and they're like, oh, you're good at this. And I'm like, okay, I guess I am. And my parents are like, that's weird, but fine. And for middle-class kids, there's a lot of pressure and expectation and you know, investment in them as the future that uh, – Wow. I mean, that's interesting. I suppose I – you know, I've never had this conversation with my parents. Like, I've never talked mm-hmm. to them about – what it was I've talked to them about like the positions that they put themselves in which were very um brave but mm-hmm. I never really talked about like I don't know how how scared were you <laughs> or like to to make that leap and right. uh, provide that for your kids how does how interesting to also be like so you did that like class jump you're providing a middle class life for your kid mm-hmm. these are very normative right experiences right right um but you know i know you well enough to know that you're not, not a normal. normative person yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes you know so uh-huh. like what is that like you move into the neighborhood who's in the neighborhood right when, when you move in that neighborhood for you in that experience in Hmm. Well, I don't literally live in the neighborhood. I my way to to get her into good schools is to use the magnets and things, which is another um, middle class tool. In um, like in, what what kind of other parents are you encountering? 
Uh, I mean, she's her parents are are the the parents of her friends tend to all are almost all doctors and lawyers, and um and some like researchers and and uh, mostly scientists. So I thought, you know, oh, I'm I I have a doctorate and I'm a professor. Like we're on the same level, but. They are kind of the wealth that knows that science is real wealth and humanities is like a little bit of the. Uh, <laughs> oh, like, no. um, so, uh, no, but they're actually really nice to me. And I, I, yeah, I get along with the parents fine. And I think that for me, I see that that's um, they have more wealth, but that we've got the same kind of cultural capital and access to knowledge in a lot of ways. I think that my daughter is more keenly aware of the material differences of like that we don't have a pool and, you know, Man. many of her friends do unless they're unless they live in the hills. And then, you know, it's hard to have a pool there, but they have great views or, you know, like, well, I mean, she's never going to be well adjusted without a pool. I know it's right. Just impossible to believe, believe that I've she d- could have deprived a her of positive that. future. Yeah. yeah. But they are mostly straight. And um, what's that like? Almost all still married, which is really, oh, really interesting. Oh, everybody's partnered. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Either married or maybe, I mean, and this could just be the, you know, imperfect sample of my daughter's friends. But um, if they are divorced, they have remarried. And, you know, uh, and so. Our family is not only queer, but my co-parent and I are not together anymore. So we've been um, divorced or separated um, since our marriage was never legal um, or legally recognized uh, since she was three. So that's so she's sort of doubly marked in that way. But and she's uh, like a teen now. She's a teen now. So yeah. So for her, the ways that. I've failed her with my non not not being able to be normal enough is uh you know right right at the top of her mind. Is that what yeah. you would say? Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. That seems right. So you see used difficult. to me as like giving her the normal life but you know from her her view I've I've failed by a long shot too. Um Does she talk to you about your your queerness? Yeah, that's something we've talked about, you know, her whole life like um I remember when uh she was I think five, and we were listening to NPR, and it was like uh, the time of Prop 8, and so the news was, they kept saying gay, and, you know, and and she was listening with me, and then she was like, so wait, what's gay again? And I was like, oh, that's when a boy loves a boy or a girl loves a girl. And then she, her answer was so great. She schooled me so hard on that biphobic, not queer answer that I'd just given her, and she was like, so a gay girl can't love a boy? And I was like, mm. Good point. Yeah, way to, yeah, way to check me there. And um, uh, yeah, so I mean, it's just been a conversation, you know, uh, her whole life. And then her next answer was actually really cute too, because she uh, was like, "Okay, so then, then I'm not gay because I." She had a boyfriend right out of the gates in kindergarten, and she was like, "Because Canyon is a boy." And then she thought another second, and she was like, "But." What I like about Canyon is that he's not like a regular boy. He's, you know, nice like the girls. So maybe I am gay. And I was like, I felt like I'm done. I've, I'm done. I've done the best parenting wow. I could ever do. Like, just please take over teaching my classes yes. now. Like, yes. Of like, that's queerness. Of that's just amazing. Like, yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. That's really amazing. Is it, is there... I don't think I, you know, I mean, I think it's the most relatable 
One of the most relatable stories on the planet is wishing that your parents were different. Yeah. But um, and usually about unchangeable issues. Yeah. Right. But rarely about unchangeable issues that are as stigmatized in culture and and by our government as right. something like queerness. So I can't imagine what that experience is like. Because I know I yelled at my parents mm-hmm. for wa- ways of for pe- the people that they are. Mm-hmm. But I didn't yell at my parents for the people that they are. And then they had to. So go was everybody else. Yes. Yeah, and then they right. had to go out in the world and yeah. experience that too. Right. What is that like? Yeah, I mean, she doesn't quite yell about it, but I think she is like, you know, um, she's like, I basically her point is that she has to deal with homophobia in her life, even though she now um, is is pretty clear that she's straight or mostly straight or or um, at least gender conforming for sure, and. Um, and so it's like maybe her version of it is that she has to deal with something that she wouldn't have to otherwise. Um, but uh, one of the things I say to her is, you know, and, and and maybe another thing she says is like, you know, I'm straight and I don't have like neither of my parents understand that. Like I'm just different from you guys. And I was like, you know, that is true. And what I share with you in that is that's how I felt. I was different than my parents. And um, and I didn't have anyone in my life that I could look to. You know, I didn't have an aunt even or um, another family friend or something that I could at least map onto. But I understand. I try to also empathize with her of that her experience is not that different than mine because she also feels like not um, – She's not going to pattern her life after mine, just like I knew I wasn't going to pattern my life after my parents. So she knows she has to kind of create a way that she hasn't seen modeled for her. And that's I relate to that. And so we we talk about that, too. So, God, that's yeah. I'm like actually <laughs> so moved oh. by how beautiful that is. You know, I, I definitely at some point want to parent and yeah, I highly recommend it internal I'm yeah I'm internalizing everything that you're what saying a lucky kid I'm putting all I'm putting all of these words uh into my heart because I just think that's yeah I mean that's so smart and amazing and also um not something not a obvious obviously not a conversation we can have going up like you mm-hmm you right. Know, I know exactly literally that's what you're saying, but I also just mean even saying that to mm-hmm. a parent. Um that is something that I have said to both of my parents. And my parents are like they are trying. I have right. trying parents, right. which is right. um it was very hard for them for a very long time. Um and harder for my dad than my mom. Mm-hmm. And my parents are still together. They've been married for 40 years. Like I am from this very, you know, what you would think of as a traditional mm-hmm. nuclear family and and a happy one it sounds like like a yeah i mean not perfect no i think yeah. definitely a happy yeah. one i think the i think a happy one but also i don't have any this is going to sound weird but i don't have any way of like scaling their relationship because i don't know how men and women are supposed to be together mhm 
So I don't. Right. I don't know. Like I look at them right. and that's what I know. But um, I have no like relationship to it. I don't have an right. attachment or understanding. I don't have right. an understanding of like what they're fighting about. Right. Even though like obviously I recreate their fights right. daily right. with right. my wife. <laughs> right. Right. Sure. <laughs> uh, you know. Anyway, um, but I've tried to say that to them, and I will say that my experience has been that it makes them sad to think about me going through something that they never had to go through. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, ugh, now you're sad? Like, I just wanted to talk to you mm-hmm. and have it and have us be present with each right, other. Right, right. And now, like, you get to be sad now? Right, and I need to comfort fuck? you. Yeah. Right, <laughs> right. Um, so actually, I mean, it... It's really cool that you share that with your child. Yeah, that's been my main goal as a parent is to be honest and to be um, listen to her and re- respect her journey and because it is so different than mine, you know, and um, it felt very experimental. Like I feel like now in terms of the micro generations, like now there's a new, you know, m- many generations of queer parents. But when, you know, she's 14 now, so... Um, in the early 2000s. I mean, there were a lot of us doing it, but it wasn't quite as like there was one book called Lesbian Parenting and it was in its second edition. (laughs) And we for sure bought that book, but it also wasn't that helpful because I don't think it had, you know, it's just like um, a lot about how to think about sperm since you're having to use it to make a baby. And that feels weird, you know, like, uh, but because mostly I think it's not that different. So the whole book didn't, you know, didn't turn out to be our guide to parenting. But um, I forget. Did where you I was have going other friends that. that were doing this at the same time? No, no. We we were. Um, I was thirty. We were both thirty. I mean, uh, one thing I will also I. say, just because like mm-hmm. listeners can't see you or right. might not have a reference point for you, you are like a young person still in term, like in this scale of where you could like. There are people in your cohort that would maybe be like adopting today. Like yes. I think it's like very unusual the age that you chose to have a chose child. to have child. Yes, in the LGBT community. Yes, because like not just were like less people doing it, right? But certainly less people doing it at that age. Yes, like I would say, as an outsider, mm-hmm. that that seems like a very rare. Experience. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. I don't uh, know too Like, yeah, the other queer people I know who are parents with kids my age that are my age, um, most of them were, you know, in a straight relationship and that and then had their baby that way. Right. And then now are queer or, you know, that's uh, or maybe always were. But that that's how they got that baby at that time. So, yeah, the the doing it intentionally when you were as young as I was, was not not normal. Another not normal choice of mine. <laughs> not, yes, yes. I mean, not, not normative not, or I mean, normal. More, more so. More yeah. so yeah, I mean, yeah. Yes. Did it feel not normal? It did. It did. But it felt why, right. Why did, um, why did you do it? Um, well, I, I think a few reasons. One was that my parents were so young when they had me. They were 20 and 21 that getting to 30, I was like, I'm really not redoing what they did. I have waited a long time. Like, I am a full grown adult. Like, right. They were, you know, uh, they were divorced by the time they were 30. And now I, you know, so uh, so there was that. And then, um, I mean, it was just something that I always knew 
I knew it was important to me that I wanted to have a kid and I was in graduate school and part of, you know, people would say, you know, wait till you get a job or wait till you get tenure and then have the tenure baby. And um, and I think that's definitely good advice. I think it's added a few years to grad school for me. But what I thought was, for me, it's going to be really important to have a work-life balance, you know, to be to not have my work interfere with my parenting and and figure out how to not have my parenting hold me back from my career. And so I just was like, why not? I think the best way to achieve that balance is just to build it in, to like bake it in at the same time. <laughs> of like just do it. It's so it's like you're set trying to build balance, the but there's a baby on one side of the scale. So like right. it's going to <laughs> right, right. But it has so. It's it's just my whole, you know, like I finished grad school and went out into my profession as a parent instead of doing that. And I think the more common way is, you know, go go get your success and then add a kid and then try to figure out how to balance it. I just, Yeah, you know. common way for LGBT folks for sure. And that's an interesting mm-hmm. distinction, I think, because um, – my sister just had a baby, and she's, like, a person who's in a different age mm-hmm. than, like, all of the people she knows because she is younger or cis, older. Or... She's older than me, and she's, uh-huh. like, you know, uh-huh. cishet woman, married a cishet dude. Like, they could have I mean, done this at any done time. This many, many right. years ago. Exactly. And they didn't, and so she's very much, like, experiencing this sort of, like, I think outlier uh-huh. Um experience and or having an outlier experience and to me I certainly feel like whatever biological pressure slash society telling me I have biological pressure (laughs) can't tell if it's internal or external but it's like happening wherever it is um can't even tell what your authentic experience (laughs) response to babies is anymore but it's like something should happen determined yeah Yeah. um but like her, her age I am like just starting to have queer friends and then also straight friends who are in the comedy world uh-huh. who are having kids. Like just right. beginning. Because everybody did, you know, turns out stand-up comics follow the queer model of like uh-huh. you're going to start at 39 or right, whatever it right, is. Right, Because you had to spend all that time on the road. And so you have this little baby and who was your like group of friends at the time? Uh, grad school friends. So, so it was actually, I mean, in a lot of ways it was, um, it worked out really well because, um, you know, I didn't have a lot of money and, uh, my family was somewhat nearby about an hour away, but in grad school I had a lot of friends and we all had pretty flexible schedules. And so I, I had a very strong community and then there was a, on campus, the, um, childcare center. So, Having access to high quality, affordable childcare was just, you know, not an issue. And uh, those things, I see friends of mine that are having kids now, and even that are doing very well financially. But the cost of childcare and all that is is hard for anyone. So, in a lot of really fundamental ways, it was easier than I think. If I had waited, it may have become more challenging. So. Um, Hey, good job. So, yeah, it worked out. You did a yes, good job. Exactly. Whatever whatever <laughs> that voice was, that was the right one. And, um, yeah. And then now I get to be, uh, you know, um, 
in my early 40s and in the home stretch, you know, just got about four more years of this driving a kid to school business and maybe even two more, you know, depending on uh, if she gets a car when she's 16. So uh, early retirement. I feel sometimes like I was actually I have another friend that is, is my age and has kids. And we were talking about like it's how when you're in your 20s, people tell you to start investing. Like if you invest, you know, 15 percent of every paycheck, you can retire when you're 45. And it just sounds so insane and abstract. I feel like I did that basically of like, did you know, I invested early and now I get to retire. So. Man, congrats. Thanks. I cannot yeah. relate to right. that. This is I why you wanted to like I bring am, me on I have not right. invested any of the things is how I right. feel. Yeah. I feel like so, all of the right. things it's just gonna cost went a little to more leather now. jackets. Yeah. You can still retire. It. Yes. It's just gonna <laughs> just gonna have to that con- contribution's gonna hurt a little more than No, you're yeah. right. I mean you're totally right. Um I think I wanna talk about your work and having the focus that you have and the evolving community that you're a part mm-hmm. of. Mm-hmm. So, like, you're supposed to talk about queerness, mm-hmm. but queerness is different All the every time. day. Yes. And also experienced differently, not just by, like, cohort and generation, but also just, like, obviously person to person. Right. Um, how do you teach that? How do you talk about that? Ooh, yeah. Um, it's exciting. I mean, I basically one of the things that's that's really helped me as I've, you know, like basically started out teaching it in the way of the ideas that that really helped me form my identity. And I, you know, set a sort of syllabus around that. And um, as as I've been teaching I and realizing the material that doesn't work or the concepts that aren't as relevant uh, in order to adapt, I become the student. Like basically, I've been learning and keeping up on what um, what it means to be thinking of yourself as queer now as a young person through my students, and that, and I make that a, a part of my classes because that ra- rather than think, rather than hold this like I'm the expert and let me tell you how to think, um, that uh, dialogue becomes really important. And uh, do you kind of openly acknowledge the question that I asked? Like, yeah. Like, is that what you're going into the room and saying, like, hey, it's right. different all the time. And I'm right. teaching I, this thing that is uh, like it's like teaching an earthquake. <laughs> it's like it's like so. Yeah. Yeah. Moving. It is. I mean, what we're there to learn is how queerness is not um, this stable, a historical thing, but that it's a cultural construct and that it's um that it's mediated by context and by signifiers of language or whatever so uh so it actually becomes very easy to teach that of like it's interesting but but harder it's way easier to talk about that if we're looking remotely of like what did um how did people understand their sexuality in the 20s or something it becomes a little harder for anyone to reflect on their own identity in that context because it feels so internal and set and natural and you can't imagine that anybody would feel differently. Um, but for me, getting there, that that's the desired learning outcome is is for there to be not a fixed idea of queer identity, but a um, attentiveness to um, the the various ways that we understand 
sexual identity and gender identity and how we move between them and why why do we switch in that way and that how how it works as a cultural interface. Why didn't I get to take your class? Do you know what I mean? Oh. Time travel oh. plus re- total <laughs> right. geographic relocation. That sounds great. Did you take any queer studies classes? No, I went to no, I was at a college where you couldn't um you couldn't come out. Like there oh my come god out, um as a student or you could be dismissed from the faculty. Whoa. Um and so So you're younger than me, but you had a way more conservative college experience after your super strict Catholic college and uh. you know, not just um queer stuff, but like all sexuality really right pushed out right um and you know like for instance there weren't like condoms available anywhere on campus mhm think right. about what i just said whoa oh my god and how like dangerous and yeah. irresponsible that is right um i mean i also never had sex ed um and for me you know, I don't I don't know what I don't know what would have been more difficult. I mean, obviously the the like possibly getting kicked out of school and thinking you're going to hell stuff aside, right, like, right. like if we could separate that out for a minute. Like at least when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with other people, like when I mm-hmm. wanted to figure out um like how do bodies work? Right. Uh, I was like dealing with somebody else who was in the exact same place and was like, I, I have no idea either. Uh-huh. And there was also no expectation between the two of us that either of us knew. Right. Like we didn't have to fake that I think thing that's of like so beautiful though. Yeah. It no, I that's what I'm yeah. saying. Like I imagine, you know, a straight person being in that situation where there's no information and no condoms and right. then also it's you like have, the movie Blue Lagoon. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes. That it is, is like right. Yeah. And and you also have the, the social queer pressure. Story of Blue Lagoon. Yeah, yeah. And you have the social pressure of having to seem like you've done this eighty seven times. Right. But also yeah. that you have no like I've yeah. never done this, I know but I'm also an expert and right. I definitely know how this works. But um, I haven't done it too many times. Right. Don't exactly. worry about that. Not yeah. that, but also this and right. you know I just yeah, imagine such like a narrow trying zone. to check all those boxes sounds like I don't know how anybody was okay emotionally yeah. at that place. Yeah. Um, it's almost like heterosexuality is unhealthy. I, it's almost know? like heterosexuality is <laughs> unhealthy. Well, you know what? It fucking is in the Catholic it, Church because right. actually it turns out um, all sexuality is viewed as an invading force right. and not an innate biological right. slash psychological and social need. Right. And so... And it's a litmus yeah. test for your, you know, um, right living, you know. Oh, and, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I was, I don't, this is going to shock you, but, you know, when I was dating men, I was like pretty pro abstinence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're like, I don't see a problem here. No. <laughs> yeah. Like, Just keep I'm it a, in your pants. I feel really whole. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, so, that's really funny. <laughs> I yeah. know. It is yeah. really funny. Just like, yeah. Yeah. But it was, uh, and so clear to you how that would be liberatory for women. Like that would be like a totally. sort of Christian feminist position would be like abstinence. <laughs> oh, right. It's like, great. Right. Yeah. Well, actually, that is why when I first started like cracking the um, cement that was around my mm-hmm. body and uh, to understand like what was true about uh-huh. what was like philosophically true about the things that had been taught and then what mm-hmm. was just like a bunch of garbage made by... Some weirdos with a little hat right. in Rome. Um, the first thing that 
sort of put me on the scent of like, I'm not sure it was what was written about women. Uh-huh. I like did yes. not. Ever, there was not ever a part of me that when I read what was written about queer people, there was never a part of me that was like, I don't know if that's right. Mm-hmm. But when I but it was when right. I read the stuff that was written about women, I was like, I don't think this is true of 51 percent. Right. Of the of the right. population. Right. Yeah, no, that I remember that too, and like I, I was also raised Catholic, and I, um, I just wanted to be an altar boy so bad. Were, and were you at an age where you could be an altar server? No, no that my church was like that is not for girls; that's for boys only. And <sighs> now, was... now that same church has changed, so it it is sort of gratifying when I do go to mass with my family to be like, well, at least they've done that. <laughs> I was an altar server. And I was a, and I awesome. was a Eucharistic minister. Wow! Uh, so like I got to give the host. Yeah, yeah. No, people. I know what that is. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, dude, I was fucking into it. But yeah. they wouldn't let me have the big job. Right, right. And they still don't let you have no, the big job. No, they don't. Yeah, I, I, um, not too long ago, uh, at at a family dinner, my niece asked me, you know, why aren't you Catholic anymore? You know, like was kind of surprised, like knew I wasn't and then was surprised that I knew the prayers and stuff. And she was like, oh, wait, so you used to be and now you're not. And what's that about? And I used to not be very honest with my family. But after um, having my kid, that was one of the big realizations for me was that I didn't – that how how much I would closet myself to just make things comfortable for my family. And then after I brought, you know, my daughter into the family, I realized that that wasn't fair to her to model. So it was like I gained self-respect through not through wanting to model self-respect. And so I started just being more honest with my family and not couching, you know, questions that I, oh, they might not want the kids to hear that or um, just being open and honest and uh, so when my niece asked me at dinner, you know, why why aren't you Catholic anymore? I was just honest with her. And I was like, well, you know, I just really didn't like that they don't let women be priests. And she was probably about seven at the time and was like, what? They don't? <laughs> like, that doesn't sound right. And, you know, I was like, don't ask me, uh, you know. And uh, my my sister and my family were not so happy with that, <laughs> with that moment, but I stand by it. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, you you should stand by it. Yeah. Also, if a seven year old can have a problem with a thing, exactly, maybe it's not the best like, thing. Yeah, yeah. Like if like if a seven year old's like, I think that seems oppressive. Yeah, and unjust. Right. <laughs> yeah, and inconsistent because the yeah. same. And I love my sister, and she's a great parent, and um, and is totally raising her kids, boys and girls. Of you can be anything, you can do anything. You know. Um, but that, you but know, not that. that yeah, it was really, really hard, and and really nobody had a satisfying answer, and because there and is no satisfying there is not. answer. No, there really isn't. So I'm proud of you. Thank thanks you. For, thanks for thank uh, you. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I fight. I mean, not I fight. I like not fight, fight. But I mean, I, um, yeah, I rolled this out for my family, and mm-hmm. my mom actually. Like left the church. Wow, it, which is pretty cool, right? I mean, she, um, my dad, I think, still has like some stuff where he, it's like we're culturally Catholic, and yeah. so you can't, yeah. There, you know, I wish there was the reformed. <laughs> I Catholic. wish there was the option, um, but there isn't. So, yeah. like, I think that's really hard for him because he's very attached to his like 
Italian Catholic. Like he's right. super attached to his identity. Yeah. And hey, I get that. I totally. like. I'm into my identity. Yeah. Um, but. And I think the aesthetics of Catholicism are great, you know, like the robes and the heavy wood and the stained glass. And and also like the security and the love and the safeness and your parents are no longer alive. And so like this is the thing that you have. The familiar, you know, I mean, I fucking get it. Call and response kind of. And it it makes me furious at the church. Like it actually it doesn't make me furious with my my dad because I feel like he's an impossible in an impossible situation. Um, Right. I feel furious with Right. The people that are taking his culture from him. And actually, yeah. my culture from yeah. him. Right. Right. Yeah. They, I mean, and that that was the really more honest answer I could have given to my niece is is that it wasn't a choice for me, that I didn't re- turn away from the church. They turned away from me, you know, like Absolutely. I couldn't be me. But um, so I thought I was giving the safer answer. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, no, I think that's, you're right. You know, Who knew we would wind up talking about Catholicism? I love it. I love yeah. it. This, this is, is great. so great. I love where, just seeing where the conversation goes. See, it's pretty awesome. It is. Um, I, a minute ago, you were talking about identity, and I just felt imp- like it was important to ask how you identify. I mean, at the beginning, ah, when you introduced yes. yourself, you said like some stuff, but right. how, how do you identify in the world? That is that that is such an interesting question because it's really changed over time. You know, like there. When I first came out, I I think for internalized homophobic reasons, was not comfortable with the term lesbian. Like it just, I was like, I don't want to say I'm that. And so I was bi. And even though, you know, that was really kind of silly at that moment for in me. So now it is not, not to make light of bisexual identity. But for me, that was a funny thing for me to be like, no, I'm not a lesbian. I'm bi. And it really was internalized homophobia and then felt very comfortable with lesbian dyke you know um lesbian avengers queer nation queer uh was always felt like a great uh you know term for my identity um and then uh but i never really questioned my gender identity like i you know didn't that just wasn't part of my language around my sexuality. And that's something over the last several years, seeing those, uh, you know, just the the way that queer culture has grown uh, language around gender nonconformity and non-binary identities and trans and trans as an umbrella it's, has been, has really shifted the way I understand myself and, um, so, yeah, I see myself as a non-gender conforming queer person. Um still but I'm also still comfortable with lesbian and dyke, but there are some ways that that starts to be less precise uh for me in in uh to describe myself. Yeah. Absolutely. Does I mean, that I answer your question. Oh, it totally does. And I th- I'm I I feel like what the way that you just described that was was really perfect. I mean, of course, because it's your own experience, but also just um, in speaking about like what I think has been going on for a lot of people in um, like, say, the more like dykey, butch identity right. end of the spectrum. I don't really know how I identify because I don't really have another. I right. don't know people that I think are like me. Uh-huh. Um, because I really f- 
I feel very much exactly in the middle. Like mm-hmm. I don't I don't feel um I don't feel like if we're just going to use words, uh-huh. I don't feel femme like, right. at all. Right. right. I have no right. attachment to that. Right. I do not want to ever um like be perceived as what that mm-hmm. traditionally has meant. Um but then I also don't think I can fully like I can't I can't I don't think I can say that I'm butch and mm-hmm. like live with myself because I right. feel like the, well because you know I, for sure there's somebody butcher than you yes yes I know for, <laughs> I, I know there. somebody yeah. butcher than me really right. well yeah. um, and also because I'm in this like kind of middle zone yeah yeah which might be non-binary I mean that might be what I'm talking I don't know what it is that I'm talking about yeah what with this middle zone when I've I've had the people that I've had in my life as romantic partners have like really fallen everywhere on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think, and you know, when, when we're sold this idea, it's like one is this one is this. Right. Um, and that's not been the case for me. I right. Very much have been like count uh, point counterpoint to each individual relationship. And I think, uh, I don't really know other people who that's totally tr- true for. I'm, mm-hmm. I know they're out there. I just they're not my friends. I don't right. like know them. Um, I I mean, for me, it is a, been a little bit of that. Like I, um, you know, I identify as butch now. That is definitely a accurate descriptor. But I didn't feel like that word applied to me when I was in my um, 20s and living in San Francisco because it seemed like like i i didn't i didn't really want uh i didn't feel that masculine like or or i didn't feel like i like i wore only boys clothes but i didn't um wear like really heavy you know carhartt things and i didn't um have a wallet chain or something you know like so it was very sort of specific of like oh i'm not um that word has really evolved it has because i think it's yeah. a lot more i mean one thing that having more visible um trans folks in the community yes. is like so I, it's helped me so I much just know a lot of people who um I don't know are just displaying like I I like the I mean again I'm not if it wouldn't feel good to you mm-hmm. I wouldn't use it or anybody mm-hmm. but right. I just feel like butch like denotes a thing that you understand right. at least what that means. Right. But it also isn't finite anymore. And it yes. used to be very yes. finite. And yes. it used to mean wallet chains. And it used to yes. mean a specific haircut. And it used right. to mean a certain thing. I don't right. know what it means now. Like, I don't actually have, like, the updated right. definition. Right. Um, but, you know, because, like, there are... But you can be, like, a dandy. or I mean, yeah. that that was an yeah. interim. There was a minute in the, like, late 90s that that was a really helpful term for me, dandy. I was like, that's what I am. I and, love you know, that. Which it might be what you are, too. So Oh, my God. Know. Maybe I'm a dandy. I mean, I've always thought that, like, gender-wise, I've always felt like I had more in common with, like, David Bowie. Right. Than, like, any Classic woman. Classic dandy. Yeah. Than, like, any woman I knew. Right. Right. And, um... It's also yeah. interesting because, like, body-wise, mm-hmm. I don't have really anything in common with David Bowie. Right. And I don't really have a need to um, 
change my body in any right. way. Right. And so that's also hard to talk to people about or to even like describe. Uh-huh. Like like one time I was at a pool party with some friends of mine and I was like, I feel like Don Draper, but then I have a Christina Hendricks body. Uh-huh. And they were like, first of all, go fuck yourself. You just use like the hottest person in the world to describe <laughs> your body. And I was like, no, no. But I think that's fair. But I don't yeah. mean I don't mean like Christina Hendricks like as an icon. Right. I mean right. like Within that the... she has like curves and that right. they are existing and there's a certain type of like outfit mm-hmm. that we as a society are really happy right. with putting on that body. Right. But then if you want to wear like a David Bowie suit, it's very confusing. Right, right, right. Because yes. that guy, his proportions were very specific. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, it could be just like we could say name our identity or gender identity in terms of do you like straight lines or curves or do you, do you identify with them you know because i think for me that is something of of uh when i you know wear a, a button down shirt i want the straight line you know versus like i like how you wear the button down shirt you embrace the curves like it's true but they're men's shirts that do that thing which is again even one step like more specific because i don't wear so like women's shirts do the thing of a curve but they also de-emphasize your shoulders right and And you want that i want big i want like i want like a commanding shoulder right (laughs) but then i also like it to fit me in the boobs right so that's like no smushing (laughs) so that's like a very um you know specific Mm -hmm. thing i love how uh, much we can like. It's really funny ourselves. trying to explain that. I recently, I my my relationship with my parents has improved a lot over the years, and so I can actually talk to my mom now about this stuff. And there became uh, a time. I mean, this is still fairly recent, maybe about five years ago, where you know when she buys the she buys like the same Christmas present for everybody in the family, like pajamas. Like you know, this is the year all the. Um, kids and and uh spouses and whatever get pajamas she used to always get me the girl pajamas and then I would never wear them and they just didn't apply but I wouldn't really say anything and you know and then she shifted to buying me the boy pajamas which was really great but she didn't understand like I had to like talk to her about the challenge it is to shop of like yes I only wear men's clothes but like it's a whole thing like I can't just get size small. That's not going to always fit. I have, it really depends on the brand. And it's a, you know, um, so and for her, that was just so fascinating. She just never thought of that, even though I think a lot of different bodies experience the retail world does not is not made for you. But um, anyway, just no, a lot of different bodies do experience that. Yeah. But I think um, one thing that is specific and, you know, maybe this is maybe this would be true if you were like a, a larger sized person. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm imagining like that scenario being equivalent. One thing that I, that I find to be very frustrating is like I actually I know I can see what I want. Like like it's not that it doesn't exist or something. Like right. That. Right. Yeah. Like I can see the clothes that I want. Right. I just they just don't fit me. Right. And oh, that right. is like such a wild experience right. where and maybe that's how everybody feels that isn't served by, you know, retail. Yeah. but I feel like I like look at it and I go, no, I want to look exactly like that guy. Like I want uh-huh. those boots and I would like those pants and like that thing. Uh-huh. But I can't my body. I can't do that. Right. And that's uh, 
really f- frustrating. Yeah. God. Yeah. And I'm glad you shared that with your parents so that, like, your mom could have any understanding of how much the just time, right. the, yeah. the sheer right minutes and hours right. that like, have gone into yeah. constructing. And, and it must, I think it was so uh, revealing for her because I think when she sees me and like how I dress, it just seems like I think it's so neat that, you know, Andrea doesn't care that much about clothes or something, you know, like how she looks, you know, like doesn't put like it's just comfortable being in jeans and a T-shirt. And it's like, no, this is because so, like, so sought so out much find, architecture. Right, yeah. Exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that it just reads as like right. easygoing. You oh, know? my like, God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I uh, can appreciate and understand the hours. I see you. Thank you. Like Thank Avatar. You. I yeah. see you. Um, and that means a lot to me. Yeah, yeah, it's like fucking true. And that yeah. is something that in general, in I think that um, my trajectory and just what's happened in in queer culture and the um, and even the ways that queer culture has entered the mainstream, I do feel more visible now than I ever have in my life. I feel like I can make sense in um, public spaces in a way that wasn't always there. And that feels great, you know. That's really awesome to hear. Yeah. That's really great to hear. Ah, good. That's fucking great. Yeah. Well, I have loved this conversation. Oh, it my God. It went so fast. It really did. We could talk about it. There's like at least four other topics I, I have know. in my mind right. that I know like, I wanted oh, to wait, talk to you to specifically yeah. about. But we didn't get there. That's what's kind of great about this is that it's just an opportunity to talk about um, – you know, commonality and explain ourselves to each other and listen. Right. I fucking am so into it. Um, before you head out today, I just wanted to ask you about a queero. So somebody in your life that has given you the space or um, understanding of yourself that, that got you to where you are now. Will you accept two? Of course. Okay. Because it it's very hard to it just can totally be one. Two. And so, so there's sort of the like... Um, queero that is um, a touchstone for me in terms of making sense not just of myself but of what it means to be queer and um, that's Jose Esteban Munoz and his work and his books which I teach and um, he talks a lot and uh, writes a lot about queer world making that what what we do what we're doing right now that this is we're making the world that we get to inhabit it's not already there that to end how we can acknowledge that and honor that and um, in all its complications and messiness and but fundamentally most importantly its beauty so huge queero for me but the other one would because the part of the question of like that made my life I can't remember what you said easier or makes sense or something is some it's I mean, sort of the most obvious, but also who I would never think I would say at this moment is Ellen DeGeneres. I'm so glad that you did. Uh, yeah, which is, I don't know if you notice any resemblance, but it has <laughs> for my whole life, been, or not my whole life, but my whole, like, uh, you know, since she became a public figure, people would say, you look like Ellen. And it actually made it easier for me, especially when she came out, because people told me that before. And then I and I wasn't really paying attention to her. I didn't know who she was. Just, oh, that's somebody on TV. I don't know. And I wasn't 
I was in college. I wasn't watching TV at that time. And then when she came out, then that had a different thing of when people would be like, you look like Ellen meant like, I understand the whole thing. I see what's going on here. Yeah. And it actually just in a like one day to the next made my life directly easier. So never had a chance to thank Ellen for that. But um, and I think that's true of a, a whole generation of queer people for a lot of reasons. But for me, just pretty much because I look so much like her. <laughs> it is like I've actually people that just happened to me the other day. Somebody asked me, you know, like, wait, are you Helen DeGeneres? Or like, you look so much like her, like an airport screener. <laughs> so um, so it continues to happen. It's a sort of a version of Are You Two Sisters or something. Yeah, of just like right. the resemblance is not quite is, as strong what's, as what's, you're How do I know you? Right. From yes. what do yes. I? <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, those would be my two answers. Well, I love that. Um, this was just a great Thanks for coming in and doing this. Yeah, my pleasure. I would love to talk to you anytime, whether there's microphones in our face or not. <laughs> you got it. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Let's go find now who we are. Who we are. Well, listeners, that's our show. Please remember to rate and review us on iTunes. You can follow me on Twitter at Cameron Esposito. We are recorded by Matt Brousseau, produced by Sierra Catow, and Feral Audio. Our theme song is by AW, and you can find them at listentoaw.com. Thanks for listening to Query. Hey, this is Arnie Niekamp from the Improv Fantasy Podcast, Hello from the Magic Tavern. I fell through a dimensional portal behind a Burger King in Chicago into the magical land of Foon, and I started a podcast. Season three has just begun with a brand new adventure to defeat the Dark Lord. If you're a new listener or you've fallen behind, season three is a great jumping on point. And we've got great guests like Justin McElroy. I sound like a fancy college professor. Fake nuts. <laughs> Rachel Bloom. You all see my collection of men corpses and one woman. Felicia Day and Colton Dunn. You've seen <coughs> me have intercourse with a variety of species. It's a bummer. Andy Daly. You have the members of Genesis listed, but Phil Collins yeah. has crossed out and then circled and crossed out again. Uh, yes, I have killed Phil Collins twice. Thomas Middleditch. <laughs> Jesus! I mean, (laughs) Jazos! Ruler of the Eighth Circle! And that's just the beginning. Season three of Hello from the Magic Tavern is out now. Listen in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 